Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am now joined by old friend, the Solid Verbals, Ty Hildenbrandt. Ty, how are you doing, man? Chase, my man, how you been? Not too bad. We're both really busy people, but your level of busy and your type of busy tie is a little bit different. Like I, we talked before we got started here about uh, our, our schedules and how it all works out these days. But for you, I, I want to get your perspective on this because I have a dog uh, next to me at this present moment, Cleesy the dog, and you have a dog, big white fluffy one. It's like a, a souped up version of the dog that I have here, my Keyshawn. Um do you find yourself now that you're a work from home guy and that you're podcasting all the time and you're doing all your research and you're you're in the lab cooking up good college football content, Ty, are you are you talking to the dog more than any other human being right now? And have you had to catch yourself and you're like, I think I talk to the dog a little bit too much because that is where I am at in my day to day. Well, at moments, it's weird. That's a really weird question, but a good, <laughs> that is such a good question. Um I am in, I would say, the the lucky scenario where my wife has also been working from home mm. for a good long time, like a lot of people right now. You know, it's just kind of the times we're in. And so I, I do have another human that I can interact with, but I find that because she is working from home and she's plugged into what she's doing, the dog may be more receptive to the things that I have to say. Yeah. And so, yeah, I talk to her a lot. She doesn't care much for college football. Mm-hmm. Which, which is good for her. Um, she's always around. She's interested. I do have treats up here more often than not <laughs> mm. that I can keep her entertained with if she sees or hears something that she uh, wants to be vocal about while I'm recording. But um, it's good to have that friend nearby, isn't it? It's good to have it nearby, but... I just I, I, I grow concerned about the long term trajectory here because I think I'm going to always be a law, uh, a work from home guy. And I just think I'm going to be at a point where I just talk to the dogs. I did. Uh, I did some self searching over the last year and I was like, man, there's no question that I've spent an inordinate amount of time just talking to the dog about, hey, like, what do you think about uh, this Oregon offense? I don't I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Right, Khaleesi. And it's just. It's one of those things where there's not a lot of back and forth. And I wonder how that permeates into the podcast at some point. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, um, I, I have, I, I'm a new dog owner. Mm. This is the first time that I've ever had a dog and it took a while to get her comfortable with coming up here to the studio. But now that she is, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to envision a scenario in which the dog learns to speak English and then can recite back to me all the stupid things that I've said over the course of the college football season just to make me feel bad about it. Um, she's up here. She's part of this thing. Even if you don't hear her on the, on the podcast, then she doesn't seem to be running away mm. when we talk about things like Wisconsin's offense. Yeah. So if she can withstand that Nebraska's offense, um, it's okay. Have you already okay. had a conversation with her, like a sit down where you, you get some treats together and you, you gently pat her head and you say, uh, we've got to watch Iowa, Kentucky in a few weeks. There's been, there've been a few Graham Mertz conversations that were mm -hmm. rocky. Um, you know, Scott Frost, <laughs> Scott Frost topics have been, you know, we don't talk about those openly, but mm -hmm. there've been a couple conversations like that. Sure. But she's all in on uh, on on the Whipple hire, I assume. Loves loves Mark Whipple. Yeah, loves Whipple. Um, what is her name, you know, by the way? What is your dog's name? 
Dog's name is Beira. Okay. Like fluffy white Samoy. She's a snow dog. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think you've mentioned her on the pod, have you? What's that? I don't think you've mentioned her name on the pod. I've, I think I've mentioned it here okay. and there. Beira, the Scottish goddess of winter. <laughs> For the big white snow dog. Um, mm-hmm. No surprise, big Scott Frost fan, um, <laughs> as you might expect. So, right. yeah, she's she's very much part of what we do here on the show. There you go. Well, Ty, I wanted to hit on a couple different college football things with you today. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot, and like we, we talked about before we got started here, was the coaching carousel and just how crazy it is and um, how, I think, bad for the sport, objectively bad for the sport that it is at the moment, where just so much movement is happening and it's all pertaining maybe to the college football calendar and how messed, the, the early signing period has messed up a lot of this and uh, forced programs to get a jump start on stuff. And like we almost had a situation with your school being in the college football playoff with an interim head coach who... Yes, if he like was still with Marcus Freeman being elevated, it was still kind of an interim. We like that. It, that's just minutia that doesn't matter. But it is just seems like we're like that's going to have to change at some point. It seems like with the Dabos of the world and a lot of other coaches are probably going to push back against that. Um, but we'll see because there is no czar and there is no Roger Goodell and Adam Silver to alleviate these kinds of uh, changes in college football. But I wanted to start with Notre Dame because not only because you're a Notre Dame fan, Ty, but it's also because I think their coaching search for me was the most interesting and I think the most the most confusing because I am I'm not certain about anything with Marcus Freeman. And it was interesting to see the response with a lot of smart Notre Dame people and fans and what they wanted and just like the slam dunk hire this is great we're elevating freeman we're keeping the staff brian kelly's not bringing them all here and we're going to keep the recruiting class and right now i think they're in the top five in the 2022 uh uh 247 sports recruiting uh crystal ball stuff but i I just thought it was interesting that it's been viewed as a slam dunk hire. Uh, first time head coach, uh, has only been at Notre Dame for a year, came from Fickle in Cincinnati, obviously a great recruiter everywhere he's been and been great for Notre Dame thus far. But with Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle being in the conversation and both being potentially interested in just what Matt Campbell has done at Iowa State, which is five uh, consecutive winning seasons, which was only done five times in the last 26 previously. And then you look at Luke Fickle and what he's done at at uh, Cincinnati, rather. And I was just wondering of just that, like, from your perspective and how the fan base views it, I see it more as like a, yeah, the ceiling's high with Freeman because they're recruiting and everything else. But I don't understand why there is this certainty that he was the better choice than waiting for a Fickle or going after Campbell because... I don't know which ones will ultimately be right. I don't know which one we'll we'll find out pretty quickly because of how uh, short of leash a lot of these coaches have these days. But I don't know. For me, it was surprising to see the certainty with Freeman because I just I would be concerned if I was an Irish fan if I could have had Campbell or Fickle too. Is that is that a fair assessment from my end? Yeah, it's fair. It's absolutely fair. He's a first time head coach. He's thirty five, and he just got to Notre Dame at the start of the year, calendar mm-hmm. year twenty twenty one. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, you know, there, there's two schools of thought, I think, with the hire. If you let's take Luke Fickle. I don't know if Matt Campbell was really um, a candidate for this job or not. Mm-hmm. They move very quickly. He was one of the names that seemingly made some sense, if only because of geography. Yeah. But, um, well, let's stay with Luke Fickle for a second. Luke Fickle is definitely more of a safe choice. In a sense, he's a no brainer hire. 
because he's built this thing up at Cincinnati. He did good things as defensive coordinator at Ohio State. He was an interim at Ohio State for a while. This is a guy who I think has a track record. You kind of you know what you're getting with mm-hmm. him. Um, I also think there is an argument to be made that the ceiling may be higher for Marcus Freeman. Yeah, especially at Notre Dame. Keep in mind, this is a brand that does, for better or worse, uh, or I should say is, for better or worse, associated with just being old. And what Notre Dame does with this hire is they get significantly younger, significantly more energetic, and it puts a whole different spin on the recruiting game, right? They are now led by 35-year-old Marcus Freeman and 29-year-old Tommy Reese. When was the last time you could say that about a Notre Dame school? Never. Mm-hmm. Never. And so how does that work for their advantage in the recruiting game? I think you're seeing it right now. They haven't had guys decommit from Notre Dame. There's definitely renewed interest in Notre Dame as a brand. Marcus Freeman said it in his press conference. Job number one is to convince kids that Notre Dame can be for you, that it that it is not necessarily a walled garden, that there, that there are plenty of kids out there, top flight talent that could go to Notre Dame and thrive and be successful and play to a really high level. His job is to try and convince kids that otherwise wouldn't be interested in Notre Dame that this is this is a school for you now that they've got this renewed focus on brand and energy and youth. And so I think that is what he brings to the equation um, that Luke Fickle maybe wouldn't bring, being more of a traditional hire. So I like it. I'm, I'm energized by it. It is definitely high risk, high reward. Yes. And as a Notre Dame fan that you know, has long believed that they've got the talent in place, they've got the infrastructure in place, they're knocking on the door of being one of those top tier programs. I think now is the time to take that risk. Don't play it safe. If you feel like you've got a guy who you can put into an otherwise stable program who maybe can take you next level, now's the time to try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But as a fan, you got to admire at least the wherewithal by Jack Swarbrick to realize that this could be something that's really, really great. It could be a spectacular failure, too. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is that like it could go it's just volatile and it could go complete. I think it's either going to be like what an like a awesome hire nailed it. He's the guy long term. This is great. Uh, Notre Dame can compete for a title or this flames out rather quickly. It's I don't think the there's other. a middle ground. No, 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 there isn't. You're, you're absolutely right. And and Brian Kelly, by the way, Brian Kelly was the safe hire mm-hmm. when he came over. They tried the not so safe hire with Charlie Weiss. Yep. It didn't work. It didn't work. Now, that was a guy who was familiar with Notre Dame, right, because of his own history, but hadn't been within the program, came from outside, was was obviously a much different personality coming from the New England Patriots. And that didn't work. He was there a couple of years and he flamed out and then they had to go a much different direction. But Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly was that safe hire. He was a guy who wanted the job the most. He was a guy who had a proven track record for building programs everywhere he had been. And now over the course of 12 years at Notre Dame, he clearly built the program up. The program is now in a, in a really stable state of being. And so if you are going to entertain a first time head coach like Marcus Freeman, now would be the time to do it. Now would be the time to do it. And so I like it. Um, Marcus Freeman, for what it's worth, is is a much different personality than Charlie Weiss ever was. He yeah. is he is very, very open minded. He's open to criticism. He is open to, you know, surrounding himself with guys who are talented. He does not need to be the last voice in the room. And he said as much. And if you've seen any of the thousands of or dozens, let's say, of media hits that he's done since being named head coach, he's 
he's okay with not knowing everything and turning it over to some of his capable assistants. And I think that will serve him well in the new role. Well, speaking of new roles and whether or not it will serve them well, uh, when you look at Brian Kelly, and I think it's now just been overlooked at how good, what was his winning percentage at Notre Dame? 76%, something like that during his time, which is right up there with Lou Holtz of the world and didn't win a national title. But like he, you mentioned, he was uh, not uh, the sexiest hire, but he was just consistent, won a bunch of games, uh, adjusted when he needed to, especially offensively, um, built up the defense, made great hires on both sides of the ball more often than not. And won a lot of games, uh, back-to-back playoffs, all that kind of stuff. Like Brian Kelly was uh, exceptionally successful at Notre Dame. Um, so obviously a very different beast in Baton Rouge, but with what you know about Brian Kelly and what you know about LSU, do you like the marriage? Like outside of the, the Southern accent stuff, which was objectively hilarious, but the actual on-the-field results, he already hired away the McNeese State head coach who's just an ace recruiter in Louisiana. It seems like... He has all the money to pull the kind of assistance he wants, even if he couldn't get uh, a lot of the Notre Dame people to follow him. Do you believe in Brian Kelly at LSU? Because when you look at everything right now, for me, I think he's the most likely to succeed of the group. Um, of all the coaching changes we've seen thus far, I, if I had to bet on who has the most success and reaches the top of the top of that group, he seems to uh, to make the most sense to me. Uh, what about you? He, he's won everywhere he's been. Yep. He's won everywhere he's been. There's a track record. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you, even though the hire feels like it came out of left field for most people, myself included. Um, it He's just been really good everywhere he's been. He doesn't have to be likable to be a good football coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, the accent stuff, as you said, objectively hilarious and goofy and definitely paints him as more of a phony than. Notre Dame fans uh, might even imagine, but he's a good coach and he knows how to, he knows how to build a program. He's been a program builder everywhere. So yeah, he's going to have success They're They're dealing with some transfers and the normal amount of churn at LSU right now as they figure out what their new staff is going to look like, what their new systems are going to look like. He obviously tried to pull some guys over from Notre Dame and hasn't gotten most of the big ones, but there have been some other ones that have come up. Brian Polian's come over and some administrative types have also followed him to LSU. So he'll he'll get some guys from Notre Dame. Um, but he's been very good at hiring assistants in in his tenure as a coach, be it wherever he's been. And I think he'll have success at LSU. I, I don't think there's any other way about it. Um, he will have success at LSU. He will turn that program around or not that it needs a, a full turnaround job per se, but I would say within three years. For Brian Kelly, it, it feels like an utter certainty to me that that's an A plus hire and he'll have them competing for SEC West titles before a while. Yeah. And I mean, what, three straight uh, coaches have won a national title there. Um, so the the odds are good. And at 60 years old, this is probably it for Brian Kelly. And that's when people are like, oh, but Notre Dame, he has a job forever and he's in a good shape. But it's like if you're 60 and you're really, really wanting to just take one last out at a national title and he gets fired like Ed Orgeron style in a couple years after or whatever and things go south, he gets Gene Chizik to whatever, he rides off into the sunset. He got his ring, he got paid a bunch of money and that's it. And he can go be an analyst or whatever else. But it seems to me like this is it. Like this is probably I Brian see, Kelly's I don't job. know about that. Okay. I, I don't know about that. Um, Kelly has always had an interest in coaching in the NFL. Hmm. And there was a moment in time uh, six, seven years ago 
fairly early on in his Notre Dame tenure where I thought it was going to happen. At the time, the Eagles job was open. I forget what year it was, but there was there was a thought in my mind that he could be a candidate for some of those NFL openings. And so there's a situation where if he gets LSU to a title within five years and there's some NFL interest, he's 64, 65 at that point. I could see him taking a nibble at the NFL. I could see NFL teams being interested in him. I, I could see that happening. I, I wouldn't fully write that off, though I'd agree, 60 years old, it, it seems like this would be the final stop. I'm just, I don't think we can say that with 100% confidence. I like it. I like it. Um, so the last thing in Notre Dame I wanted to pick your brain on, because you guys, you and Dan have talked about this a lot on the Solid Verbal. Great podcast, folks. So go check that out if you're not already listening to the Solid Verbal. Um, but the game changer at quarterback um, for Notre Dame. You <laughs> you had a very topsy turvy relationship with Ian Book over the years. Um, a lot Jack Cohn, obviously being mostly the guy. Uh, you got Buckner in there. You got Drew Pine. Um, you had a great Pine quote, uh, a tweet rather, a few weeks back. Uh, it feels like forever ago because the season flew by. Um, but my question to you about Notre Dame's quarterback room is the game changer at quarterback on the roster right now, or are they at the very least in the pipeline? Man, you had to ask, didn't you? It's everything to me with Notre Dame. I, this is yeah. what I defend Notre Dame to like, I'm in the South tie. The, the South does not like Notre Dame. My family gatherings, they're all out on Notre Dame. They love seeing Notre Dame get pummeled. They love seeing Notre Dame get destroyed. They're, they're frauds to them. They, they can't stand them. I, the SEC fans in this area and my family and everything else, they can't do it. And I always have to defend them. And I always have to do this. And I'm doing it for you, Ty. Like you and only you in the solid Me, verbal. You. you know what? You're a nice guy. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but that's the I, thing is it's the quarterback. I like Tyler Buckner a lot. Mm-hmm. I like Tyler Buckner coming in. He follows in the rich tradition of all the other four-star quarterbacks that Notre Dame has recruited who have come in, who I also thought we're going to be the, the, the second coming uh, Malik Zaire and Dane Christ and, and all these guys, you could go up and down what they've done on the recruiting trail over the last decade. So there have been a lot of Tyler Buckners that have come through. I, so I think it's him. I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about what Buckner could do if they fully unleash him, which they did not do this year. I still don't really understand, but I have optimism there. What gives me a cause for, pause is that they didn't unleash him and that if he couldn't get in front of Jack Cohn on the depth chart full-time this season he's clearly more athletic it should we be taking a word of caution from that like is that is there something that we don't know about Buckner that he just wasn't as good as Jack Cohn maybe he's just young and keep in mind that because of the pandemic Buckner didn't play his senior year of high school football and so he was coming into this thing at Notre Dame, enrolled pretty early, and you know he was starting over as a college quarterback, essentially, just fully restarting the thing as a college quarterback coming from a junior in high school. Um, maybe that played into it. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. That's the only reason that I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about the Buckner status. Otherwise, he's probably faster than any quarterback they've had in the roster on the roster in a long time. We, we've seen in the little we've seen of him. He seems like he can make all the throws. There's a lot of reason for optimism there. So I like Buckner. I'm excited to see him fully unleashed. I hope we see him more unleashed in the bowl game 
against Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl in a couple weeks. That would be a good tell to see what he can do against the top flight defense. But until proven otherwise, I'm just going to have to say the default answer is yes to Tyler Buckner. Okay. I like it. Um, one of the more curious uh, hires and situations like Bronco Mendenhall. We, we stand Bronco Mendenhall on this podcast and uh, good luck to him uh, going forward. And he moves on from Virginia, uh, getting them back to respectability. And they were so much fun with Brennan Armstrong when he was healthy this year. And he got them back on track. Now, your Penn State Nittany Lions, the alumni, Ty Hilton Branch, you got Brent Pry, who has done just an exceptional job at Penn State with their defense, and James Franklin being a, a longtime James Franklin assistant. He goes to Hokie Land. And then you got Anthony Poindexter, who might be going to Virginia. As of this recording, he still hadn't uh, been officially hired, but he seems like the target and like the best bet at this point. Between the co DCs, who would you expect to have more immediate success? And who do you attribute more of the dominant defense that Penn State fans have come to know in recent years? Well, so there, there's there are a bunch of questions there. Um, I, I, I will take a wait and see approach on that Virginia job. So Poindexter is a name that makes a lot of sense. I think he would jump at that opportunity. Um. Tony Elliott may still be in play hmm. for that Virginia gig as well. The coordinator from Clemson, which could kick off a whole Clemson discussion already with Brent Venables leaving and yeah. perhaps Tony Elliott deciding to leave as well. So that that seems like a fluid situation to me. I'm not privy to anything on that front, but I could see it maybe going in the Elliott direction as opposed to Poindexter. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Brent Pry has done a great job as defensive coordinator. He's done a great job. An absolutely marvelous job. I think Virginia Tech is going to be thrilled with that hire. He's a guy, he's got Pennsylvania roots, but he's familiar with recruiting in that footprint in the Mid-Atlantic. Um, we've seen Ricky Ronnie already go down to ODU, Old Dominion, and in his first season, get the Monarchs to bowl eligibility. Uh, he was another guy who had familiarity recruiting in that footprint, has done a pretty good job. I think Virginia Tech fans could expect to see the same thing with with pry he was very well respected at penn state did a good job not only getting talent into state college but also developing it putting it in the league i mean look at what micah parsons has done right micah parsons in his first year at the cowboys has been all world everything so i give pry a lot of credit for that defense i i do give a lot of the credit as well to james franklin who has proven i think his own track record for hiring really able-bodied assistants and he may be in a position here where he's going to have to do that on on a couple different levels on the coaching trail. Um, we'll see what he can do. I, I've heard some early smoke as to what he might do with that defensive coordinator position that I I can't report publicly because mm. I certainly can't confirm it. But if at least what I've heard in the early going is true, I'm I'm very optimistic about the future of the defense. And you know we would hope on the Franklin side that he continues to hire well and you know, do a really good job on that front. We had the Kurt Chiraka thing last year with the, with uh, offense, excuse me, which didn't quite work out. And he made a break away from that, went to Mike Yursich rather quickly to run that offense. And I think that was a good move by him to do just that. So hopefully we don't get back into that territory on the defensive side of the ball. But, um, you know, early reports, let's say, are very promising as to what it might look like as a next chapter for that Penn State defense. I like it. Um, 
In terms of the college football playoff, we get the final four set. We get Bama one, uh, Michigan two, Georgia three, Cincinnati four. Did they get it right for you? Is this how you would have done it? I think so. Hmm. Yeah, I I'm weird about two teams from the same conference. Yeah, I'm weird about Georgia getting blown out and still getting in. But it's been such a weird year. Like, it really is a question of if not these four, or if not Cincinnati, then who? And there really isn't a strong argument for another team. Like, you're not going to put Notre Dame in over Cincinnati because Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, and Cincinnati should get in over Notre Dame, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna do that. Ohio State's got two losses, and they lost to a team in the playoffs handily. So they. They shouldn't be in either. Baylor was always kind of a long shot. Baylor closed out its season in impressive fashion, was like two inches away from losing, but won the Big 12. A credit to Dave Aranda for getting that program up to, you know, 11 win heights. It's been an amazing ride for him in Waco this year. So I, there are a lot of interesting teams behind that top four. I just don't think any of them have a compelling case to jump a team like a Cincinnati. Maybe if Oklahoma State had won, we could make the case for the Cowboys for the pokes over Cincinnati. I don't know, but I think as it stands right now, they, they got it about as right as they could have uh, in a really chaotic and asymmetrical type of season. Yeah. And I just, I don't fret about it all that much. Cause I think ultimately the, college football is just different than a lot of other sports where it's just the best team is still gonna win out at the very end so i don't really fret about who the final three four is because i don't think we're we're gonna see that happen very often if ever we're the three to four team or if we expand the six to seven whatever uh make it through the gauntlet it's just the football season's long it's hard if you don't have the blue chippers i just i i don't see uh the gauntlet it's like i this is i have to be careful on our pod and stuff like that when i talk about cincinnati because it's like they're a great story and i think they should be in but it's it's also like they're gonna be double digit dogs if they beat alabama by some miracle they beat alabama they're gonna be another double digit dog against michigan or georgia and it's just the likelihood of them running that sort of gauntlet is not real like it's it's next to nothing that they can they can pull that off now if it was a one game sample this was a just number one number two yeah sure anything's possible but speaking of the number one number two it's like it, this is one of those years where as crazy as it was, as crazy and like it was so hard to read and Iowa was the number two team in the country at one point. We were wondering if we were going to have to talk to our children about Iowa and Wake Forest in the college football playoff. And that didn't happen, obviously, because the season's long and things change. But Michigan and Alabama are the two best teams. And if that was just it, I think who's complaining about that just being the BCS national title this year? No playoff. We just we actually found a neat ending to the season of just that like these are the two best teams is Michigan and Alabama. We learned it. It took the whole season, but we actually don't need three and four. We can just move on. You could. You could. I, I enjoy the playoff. Mm. It it may be a formality. Now we got four teams that Maybe it's a little bit predetermined who's going to win those games. Um, in my view, it is. But nonetheless, I enjoy I enjoy the fact that there is a playoff. And I know college football is different. It's not the NFL. But I I am all for expansion. Uh, I am all for putting some of these top teams just in different settings, mm-hmm. right? Different circumstances. Right now, it's it's very kind of finite. The, the number of combinations we could find a team like an Alabama in at the end of the season. 
but there's a, a future, hopefully in the not too distant future, where Alabama could be hosting a home game against uh, Penn State. Yeah. In the first round of a playoff. And not to say Bama wouldn't win that game. They'd probably win that game the way they win all their games outside of Texas A&M, of course. But I just I enjoy anything in this sport that pre- presents some new variability. Mm-hmm. That That's what I am a fan of more than anything. Not necessarily chaos, but just different circumstances. Everybody loves non-conference games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason why they're on campus in most cases, not all cases. They're on too campus. many now are not that case anymore, unfortunately. Too many are at neutral site and NFL games, which I hate. NFL stadiums, which I hate. But like, I I enjoy that variability mm. and those different looks that you get to see these contrasting styles as they are paired up in some of those non-conference matchups. It's part of why bowl season is so damn entertaining. Yeah, you just don't you don't know what to expect. So I am looking forward to that angle. Even if we end up getting the same four teams through. I, I am all for trying to present different different angles for us as college football fans that we can read and react to. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too. That I completely agree with the non-conference stuff. And I, I'm concerned with as conferences continue to expand, like what uh, kind of non-conference site we'll look at because you're getting more SEC games. Will they be more likely to keep uh, these difficult uh, teams on their calendar, knowing that the SEC schedule could get even bigger and tougher? But... I do. It's just one of those things where I would love to just meet with all the ADs. And uh, I think that's coming as I increase my my reach as the college football czar in the podcast sure. world. Right. Ty is just uh, Danny White here in Knoxville. I just want to take him to Dollywood where I was Sunday night and show him be like, hey, look at this. OK, I want you to look around. Do you see how many Virginia Tech hoodies and how many Tennessee hoodies and hats and all that? It's simple. Bristol was a huge success. We're doing this every year. We're alternating and then we do Bristol every couple of years. This is a rivalry. This is a thing. It's not far. Just do this little thing. Get rid of Army. Get rid of the Akron game. Whatever. I don't care. Joe Moorhead, come on down. That's fine. But no one wants that. It stinks when you get towards the end of the schedule and like this Tennessee year, having been to every game, it's just there's something incredibly depressing about rap, like that South Alabama game late and you're just like all this energy from the Georgia game the week before and you're just like, what are we doing? Like, why is this counter? From- yeah. Well, from from the perspective of big college football, yeah, I'm with you. From the perspective of South Alabama, you need that money. <laughs> yeah, that that money fuels your athletic department. Can we just pay so, them and not play them? How about that? <laughs> I, yeah, you know, or you could go the route of Samson and uh, get paid by Florida and maybe beat Florida. Yeah, right. Like that. That's the thing that can happen too. But you know, I get it. I look. I'm a fan of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I'm an alumnus of Penn State. I want to see high level matchups between some of the college football blue bloods. Yes. And so you're right to point out that there are very successful rivalries that aren't always fully harnessed and rivalries are what make college football. Yes. It's a a regional, it's a tribal sport. It's part of what makes podcasting about college football so difficult. Mm -hmm. Everybody only cares about their team. Yeah. Same with major league baseball. It's not major league baseball. There's not a fantasy component, at least not a popular version that, that makes it a little bit more homogenous. It's just very tribal and very regional and very unique. So any way that college football can can more heavily steer into those rivalries that fuel the passions behind it, uh, you have to be a fan of that. 
who isn't happy that the border war doesn't happen anymore? Like who who isn't thrilled that uh, Texas A&M and Texas don't play anymore? That's that's the real stuff. Is when those two when those rivalries just don't exist anymore. That's the great stuff. Um, speaking of great stuff, Ty, how much does the Texas NIL deal scare you as a college football analyst and lover? Because this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's just what this is going to do and like this is coming and every uh, program is now coming out with their own thing but this was one that really just caught me off guard where i was like oh man this sport is just it's going to look so different and it's a bailout situation for bad coaches and programs that shouldn't be able to get around this kind of stuff of like incompetence but just having the money to overcome that incompetence where the 50 grand per lineman and like even if you don't really necessarily want to go to Austin and you're like, hey, Texas A&M's a better program and they've been a better program for 10 years now, but I can get more money annually like that to me is just it. It troubled me like it's great for the athletes. I understand all of that. But as a fan, like the haves and the haves nots have that's always existed in college football, but it's more in your face now. And you see that. And I'm just like, what? Uh, it just it looks wrong to me. Is, is that too strong? Like, what was your reaction when you saw that and where we're really headed with big time college football? Yeah. I mean, so the, the, I'm probably botching the particulars of it, but mm. it's like an $800,000 annual investment mm. from Horns with Heart. Yep. And they are going to pay 50 grand per year mm-hmm. to up to, I believe, 16 scholarship lineman on the texas roster so it's not necessarily bolted down to a player instead it's bolted down to a position group i the nil the way that it is worded you know the ncaa had an opportunity here to take a very like open position on nil or a very closed off restricted version of it And they chose the open-minded version of it, which is weird because usually they don't do that. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I think they wanted to kind of protect themselves as well because they didn't really know what this would amount to. It doesn't scare me because of what you see happening elsewhere in college football. Who got some of the biggest deals? Spencer Rattler was a preseason Heisman contender. He got his own logo. He had some money coming in. He's in the transfer portal. Quinn Ewers, a lot's been made of the deal that he signed. We don't know if there are provisions or not provisions based on playing time. Some people say yes. Some people say no. It doesn't really matter. He's in the portal as well. And I think what you're going to have happen over the course of time is some first movers who want to throw a ton of money into this NIL thing and see what it can do for them. And inevitably, there will be a lot of them, not all of them. But a lot who find that their investment is poorly placed. Maybe they bet on the wrong horse. Maybe they didn't get the kind of marketing lift out of it that they expected. But inevitably, this market, like hopefully most free markets, at least that's the theory, will sort of work itself out. And eventually, the market will set itself. You'll you'll learn more over the course of time what's what's really good value and what isn't. And so does this scare me? I don't know if it scares me. It took me a little bit by surprise, but at the same time, I do think that most of these college kids should be reimbursed somehow, you know, beyond their scholarship for the value that they offer uh, uh, an institution. 
And so if this is part of the early days of trying to figure all that out and 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 let the market kind of set its own value, then we're just going to have to go through the growing pains together. It doesn't scare me. The haves have always had more yeah. than the have-nots. Like this is now just putting dollars and cents to it. But it, you, are we in any kind of a different situation now with Texas versus a school like, uh, you know, Sam Houston State? No, it's always been this way. Now we're actually just doing it out in the open as opposed to offering benefits and all these implicit agreements behind the scenes. So I'm okay with it. I'm curious to see more than anything how it evolves over the course of time, because I think we will see a great deal of evolution five years from now. For sure. For sure. I just want to be in the room with some of these recruiting situations where they're like, are you, uh, this is good. I like, uh, this presentation was great, uh, Jimbo, but, uh, they're, they're here 65, uh, this way. Can you match that? Can there's just a 17 year old in his family, like going back and forth, like, ah, I don't think so. Um, they might be awful. We don't really like the, the offensive line coach over there, but, uh, things are pretty good in the I, monetary department. I, I think, I think what everybody's afraid of mm-hmm. is that this is going to become a, a full fledged business for siphoning talent away from one school and to another based solely on money. Mm. And I just, I don't know if that reflects reality. Okay. It's, it's, it's a fair point and definitely something to consider, but eventually places are going to find that it's not worth the money. Eventually you might get to a circumstance where one or two or three or four, maybe five kids are siphoned away from Alabama and they decide to go to a smaller school where they can make more income immediately because that might have uh, an important impact on them and their families or, you know, who knows? There's a million different reasons why one kid will go to a place. But I don't I just don't see the scenario in which this upends college sports as we know it. I think it's long overdue that the kids can get some slice of the pie. I think over the course of time, like if they bring the video game back, they'll probably be a bigger piece of the pie that's out there for some of these top flight recruits and and just anyone playing college football. Right. Like that's a good thing. But as for it, just totally turning things upside down. I I could be wrong. I just don't see it. All right. Well, let's wrap up here with. The Tennessee Volunteers, a team that I've watched a bunch. And uh, some people were wondering, are they America's team? As the season went along with Hendon Hooker and the rise of Josh Heupel and them rising from the ashes from uh, the Kevin Steele era, that uh, that month where Kevin Steele earned himself over a million dollars. Who could forget the mm. leave the memories alone, Ty? But what did you make of year zero for Josh Heupel? And are you pretty excited about where the Vols are going uh, into the future? I am. Yeah, I, I am. This is a team that, as you know, Chase has sort of been, the program has sort of been in shambles now for the better part of a decade. And they went seven and five this year. Their losses were not really bad losses. Florida didn't turn out to be Florida that we expected early in the season. But I think you'll take a loss to Pitt in retrospect. You'll take a loss to Ole Miss, to Alabama, and to Georgia, I think, if I got the five right. so. You know, I think a successful season, I felt like they got better as the season went on. And that's always a really good early indicator if you're looking for year one success or year one indicators for a new coach like Josh Heupel. Um, I felt like that offense was immeasurably better. The efficiency metrics had them as a top 10 offense, which isn't surprising because Heupel knows offense. But as numbers go, that's pretty good. They were really good on special teams, too. 
And special teams is one of those areas that can be hard to quantify, but oftentimes it computes to just effort. Who wants it more, right? Who is more focused? Who is more disciplined? And again, as early indicators go, that's pretty good for a first year head coach. That means your guys are buying in. That means your guys are focused and they're playing well. And defensively speaking, look, I mean, there were plenty of games where they gave up points. They gave up 42 points to Kentucky, right? But I, uh, 38 to Florida, but I do feel like with the recruiting and the way it's been that they, they will find a way to turn that defense around and get it uh, even better next year. So I'm very optimistic about the future for the Vols. The, the hard thing for them will be that most of the other teams in the SEC East are also getting, they're getting better. Uh, Florida took a step back. I think they'll improve under Billy Napier. But you've got schools like Missouri that I think are going to get better. Kentucky's gotten better. South Carolina looks like it's getting better under Shane, Shane Beamer. Excuse me. So it won't be easy. It's never easy in the SEC. But I, I think year one, you can only take positives away from it. They're probably going to drill Purdue in the bowl game. If I, mm-hmm. if I had to put like an early early lean on that, it'll probably be fun with a lot of points. And Bell's know, out too, right? Like their best defenders already opted out. And I'm guessing David Bell opts out too. I don't know if that's been confirmed yet or not. Yeah, so I mean, we'll we'll see some more of that. Um, Purdue throws it a lot, mm-hmm. and they'll score points, but it'll probably be a fun bowl game that Tennessee wins. So if they finish this thing with eight wins, and you know, I don't, I just don't know how you could take anything but positive away from what we've seen so far. So I'm I'm bullish. I'm just trying to figure out how Dylan Gabriel, Hendon Hooker, and Spencer Rattler all share the field. All share the field. There's only one ball, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what makes it difficult, but. Um, We'll see, you know, um, there, they're going to be active there. Here. I, I just, you can't go into next year with Joe Milton being your only scholarship quarterback. And we got Taven Jackson on the way, but I'm, I'm going to guess they get a big name in the portal is my guess. They're going to try. I, I would expect that they'll try. And who wouldn't want to do it? This hypo offense, the tempo, all of it. It's fun. If you're a quarterback looking to get back on track, I think this is one of the offenses that you want to get back in front of. Um, Ty Hildebrand, how do the good folks keep up with you and the uh, the rest of the team at solidverbal.com. Yeah, just there. Solidverbal.com. We're college football podcast. We go year round. Right now we're three episodes a week. At some point in the off season, we'll scale it back to two because there's just not much to talk about. But for now, yeah, going out to solidverbal.com, click on the listen button in the upper right hand corner and subscribe to our podcast. We'd appreciate it. Go do that. Ty, keep up the great work. Happy for you, man. And all the great success to the solid verbal team i'm gonna have to rock uh, the solid verbal t-shirt that i have in the closet at some point today in your honor so awesome awesome thanks so much man stay safe out there and uh happy talking with uh with our pups yes sir thank you as always for the invite and you take care as well nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.